friends, and welcome to Conversations with Consequences. We are the ladies of the Catholic Association, bringing you witty and charming, in-depth conversation on the topics that matter to you with the leading thinkers and movers of our time. A special hello to all of our new listeners, as we now are part of the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network and working, as always, in partnership with the Guadalupe Radio Network. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie, and today I'm very happy to have our legal eagle, Andrea picciotti Bear joining us in studio. Hello, Andrea. Hey, Gracie. We also have our other colleague from the Catholic Association, Maureen Ferguson. Hello, Maureen. Welcome to our show. Hello, ladies. It's such a delight to join you. And we're super excited to have Ambassador at Large for International Religious Freedom, Sam Brownback, joining us in a bit. And I, too, am very excited about our guest because he's a super fascinating individual who's doing really, really important work. And he's working on religious freedom, religious liberty issues, which at the Catholic Association is really our prime, our prime motivator, right? That's why we, um, why we started our association, and that's something that we concentrate on all the time. Well, it's incredible the amount of um, issues that keep popping up that we have an important voice as Catholics to help comment on and correct when there's error. And one of the greatest errors that I think is facing our culture is gender ideology. Um, And we were going to spend a little bit of time before uh, Ambassador Brownback joins us talking about two big things that are going on um, involving this new movement of confusion And one is a lawsuit that was brought by three sweet little high school girls in Connecticut who are tracksters and were very concerned that their competitive edge was being um, overtaken by young boys that are calling themselves girls and racing against them in their high school track competitions. And so these brave little girls have filed suit in a federal district court claiming that Title IX, which is uh, anti-discrimination in the provision of resources at the education level, uh, is being violated. I I think they, you know, it's finally, someone's doing this, finally, right? They really are very brave because they're going against a big cultural current which says that if you protest that the transgender movement is, is violating the rights of girls and women, then you must be a bigot. So to take that on as a high school girl, I think is incredibly brave. Um, Even now, (laughs) I think all of us are a little scared to touch the subject, even as grown women. uh, And knowing that we have all the right on our side, um, still it's difficult for us to speak up. And, and, you know, Title IX was supposed to be the great equalizer for women, right? This Mm -hmm. was one of the crown jewels of the feminist movement. So there's such a great irony here that we have biological men kind of getting in on women's sports and taking titles and championships. And these girls in Connecticut are missing out on being seen by college coaches, for example, at the, you know, at the state champs. So it's really profoundly unfair and and personally to me what's what's even more sad and tragic are the medical harms being done to children and the confusion that's being sown because this is being taught in our schools mm-hmm. it's they're teaching little boys and girls that you may have been born in the wrong body yeah. they're, they're sowing confusion and then when these children um, exhibit confusion as you would expect 
um, they're only being affirmed in that. They're being told that they are the opposite sex, and this social transition is happening even sometimes without parents' knowledge or consent. No, absolutely, Maureen. You've you've touched upon a, a big concern that I have is is the especially in the public school system. A lot of these kids are going through challenges, their own kind of normal, typical adolescence identity crisis, and they're being given a solution that's really not a solution at all. And their parents aren't are being excluded from the conversation to help their kids deal with whatever is uh, a challenge that they're facing in their life, and instead they're being kind of programmed into this uh, gender ideology. It's very know, dangerous. Admittedly, admittedly, this is a minor point, but what are we teaching about sports fairness? <laughs> we have these boys, uh, and I was reading about Smoking it. Smoking the girls. These boys who aren't very fast runners on the men, on the boys' team, and then they simply declare themselves girls, and two weeks later they're running on the girls' team and they're crushing the girls, and we're all pretending that they're girls. This is so unfair. And it's even reaching the level of the Olympics now, a biologically male marathon runner who is identifying as a transgender woman is competing in Olympic trials right now uh, in the marathon. And we know that even if a man is taking estrogen, he still has all those inherent Mm -hmm. physiological advantages of, you know, lung capacity and different skeletal structure and narrower hips. And he's going to be able to run a lot faster Mm -hmm. than the women competing in the marathon. You know, these, uh, these uh, concerns that we have that have to do with women's, with women's and girls' rights and their opportunities, in a way and in a, in a very big, important way, they're also religious liberty concerns. And that leads me to uh, introduce our amazing guest that we have today, who is the U.S. Ambassador at Large for International Religious Freedom, Sam Brownback. And for a long time, um, Ambassador Brownback was an advocate for religious freedom as a senator for the state of Kansas and then as governor. And now he's uh, doing this for the whole, for our whole country, and he's going to tell us all about it. You're listening to Conversations with Consequences by the Catholic Association on EWTN Radio. At the Catholic Association, we have a very grave concern, and I think that our listeners share it with us, and that's the plight of the suffering religious the suffering religious people across the world who are being persecuted for their beliefs and being oppressed all over. And on that note, we're delighted to have with us the U.S. Ambassador at Large for International Religious Freedom, Sam Brownback. Ambassador Brownback comes to this job as a longtime advocate for religious freedom as a senator for the state of Kansas and as a governor. And welcome, Ambassador Brownback. Thank you. It's a delight to join you, and I really appreciate um, you're putting forward this message. I do think there are a lot of people out there that know a number of individuals uh, are getting persecuted, but they don't know the full depth of the story, and they also want to know what they can do to be helpful. Mm-hmm. That's right. So we are, for that reason exactly, we are so honored to have you joining us today. And just to give a little bit more background on our guest, uh, when I first met you many years ago, you were then a congressman from Kansas. We used to work on pro-life issues together way back then. Then you were elected to the Senate from Kansas. Then you went back home and ran for governor. Um, so you served as governor. And then now you're ambassador. So you're a man of many titles, <laughs> most certainly. Um, uh, so, so just can you start off by explaining to us what does this position of international religious freedom ambassador entail? What, what is it that you do in this job? And, and can you also explain to our listeners 
why is religious freedom even part of our foreign policy? I mean, we all know as people of faith that religious freedom is important, but why is it part of our foreign policy? Great questions uh, to start with. This is a congressionally created job. Uh, so this is a job that administrations before didn't really see, didn't think it was that important, but Congress did. Uh, and they, they put this uh, they put this job together saying we need somebody in there to advocate for people that have been in persecution and imprisoned around the world. And I was part of the Congress when that uh, came up. Uh, we pushed it. We uh, impressed upon the administration to take it. They didn't want it, uh, but they eventually did. Now you could go in the administration and they would say this is an intimate key part of our foreign policy because religious freedom is a foundational human right. You've got to get this one right. Uh, or uh, your other human rights issues are going to fall apart. You've got to get this one right uh, or else you're not going to have really any economic growth and you're going to have more terrorism in your country. So uh, this has become then really a centerpiece part of uh, foreign policy. And you might ask why uh, part of the foreign policy? Well, because of these other issues. It's key to economic growth. It's key to human thriving and surviving. Uh, and it's key to really stopping terrorism and um, and having more opportunity for individuals. Investor, I think it's um, brilliant that you're talking about what are the benefits beyond just the ability for people to be able to exercise and kind of have a personal relationship with God. What are the benefits to nation states? And you mentioned um, economic stability and economic benefits. Are are the international is the international community understanding? that link when there's religious freedom it's good for their economy they're starting to uh, i think it's taken a while uh and it's still this sort of thing is kind of dawning on people but they look around and they're under they're they're saying well how are we going to get more opportunities for our people mm-hmm. uh and then as they look at that they start looking at this area there was a, a year ago almost a year ago to the day um, the uh, pope spoke in the Arabian Peninsula for the first time in the history of the mm-hmm. papacy, uh, and he spoke at the UAE uh, with the United yeah, Arab Emirates. Uh, and it was a it was a fabulous thing. And then they developed this human fraternity document that he and the president of the most prestigious um, Islamic institution, Islamic higher education institution, signed together. Um, well, you kind of go on. Why did that happen now? Mm-hmm. And I really think the Emiratis are looking at this situation saying we can't depend upon oil and natural resources for the future opportunities for our people. We have to be broader. We have to be more open. And one of the keys is for us to be able to be open religiously and not Mm -hmm. just monochromatic on our view uh, of religion. And you have to be a Sunni Muslim in our design or else we're not going to protect you. They're saying, no, we need to be open uh, if we're going to grow. Uh, and I think really more countries are seeing that and, and putting those, those links together. And indeed, it's in the data. You, you can look at the scientific data on this and these sort of more open societies that protect people's fundamental freedoms, particularly religious freedoms, are the ones that have the most long-term trajectory to grow. Ambassador, probably out of modesty, you skirted Maureen's first part of her question, which is what do you do specifically as ambassador for religious freedom? Well, we do a number of things. Uh, we advocate for people that are in jail, uh, and we try to give them a name, a face, and mm-hmm. get them out of jail, uh, if that's a possibility. We work with countries to improve their laws, to protect everybody's religious freedom, no matter who they are or where they are, as long as they're willing to practice their faith peacefully, 
we uh, want their rights uh, protected. So we work with governments. We also have a religious engagement group that engages uh, with, with the religious leaders in a civil society group, like um, our Abrahamic Faith Initiative, where we're trying to get the key Abrahamic faiths together around the concept to use religion as an instrument of peace, not an instrument of war. So those are several of the things, and actually there's many others, but usually if it falls under the rubric of uh, religious engagement by a government on a, on a, outside of the United States, we're somewhere engaged in it. You're listening to Conversations with Consequences by the Catholic Association on EWTN Radio. I'd, I'd like to follow up on your mention of the Abrahamic Faiths Initiative because Christians, Muslims, Jews all come from this same faith tradition. But when, when people think of religion, often they think of it as a source of conflict and you know, inciting violence, especially when you look at places like the Middle East. Um, so just can you elaborate on that a yeah. little bit, what you're doing with that well, and it, and Abrahamic a, faith initiative? Sure, Marine. And it's a sad thing because most people around the world, if they're not people of faith, they often will look at religion as the, con- the reason for conflict and war in the world. Rather than exactly. an, rather than as an instrument of peace, but that's been their experience. They look at the Balkans, they look at the Middle East, they look at Nigeria today, and okay, what's the big division here about? And they usually say, well, the big division's about religion. These guys are Muslims, these guys are Christians, uh, and that tends to be the division point. Uh, whereas what we're pointing out, and I wanted to do the meeting the very first one of these that we had, which was at the Vatican, was a great place, Mm -hmm. had wonderful uh, audiences there. But I wanted to do the first one of these where we had these top theologians from the three Abrahamic faiths in Hebron. Hmm. Oh, wow. (laughs) In front of the tomb of Abraham. Wow. And I wanted everybody to wear their robes (laughs) and uh, stand in front of Abraham's tomb and point back and say, we all claim this guy. This guy is the source of our faith to show the world say whoa, 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 wait a wait a wait, wait. You a guys lot are more the, common yeah you guys are fighting all the time why you have the same dad right so <laughs> maybe next year <laughs> well i'm hopeful to still get that that money shot put together but we we need to show that side of faith that faith is a is a beautiful thing it's not a war thing it can be manipulated it can be misused and is but it's mostly, for most people, it's a beautiful thing that, that shapes who they are in a very peaceful and a loving way. You're listening to Conversations with Consequences by the Catholic Association on EWTN Radio. It's interesting, as we're all Catholics, and, and some of the readings recently have been talking about what unites, and that which unites is from God. It is. And, and reminding, even, even outside of our own faith tradition, that bringing God wants peace. Obviously, he, he wants truth, and we have the truth in, in our own faith, um, but he doesn't want the division and the, especially the violence that oftentimes accompanies this kind of turmoil. Yeah. I, I love Mother Teresa's thought on this where she said, um, I love all faiths because it's a search for God. I'm in love with my own. <laughs> and I, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, as she so often did, just put it just so succinct and tight and with a punch. Yeah, <laughs> Ambassador, do you feel that the United States is uh, leading the charge in this, or are there other countries that are just as interested as we are in international religious freedom? Oh, no, we're leading the charge. Mm -hmm. But what I'm also finding now is there are other countries that are willing to answer the call. 
Uh, we just recently uh, launched our alliance, International Religious Freedom Alliance of Nations, and a total of 27 nations uh, are in it, and three more have contacted us wanting to join it. Uh, so while the United States is leading the cause, it's in our DNA, it was part of our founding of this country, uh, we're seeing other nations now step up. I even met recently with a country of particular concern, and these are our worst nations, the nations that are worse on religious persecution. And he was an ambassador here to the United States from, from their nation. And he said, at the end of it, said, you know, I, I mean, these, obviously it's difficult, our discussions with him. But he said, but you know, it's good the United States is really pushing this. This topic needs to be pushed. There are more Christians being persecuted and killed for their faith now than any time in the world history. In, the, in this age, 2020, uh, and this horrifying. is happening to other other faiths too. So we're the big big uh, proponents of it, but others are coming along because they're realizing, seeing the difficulty, and and ultimately we're either going to figure out how the faiths can get along in the world, and express and do what faiths do best of growing and improving souls, or we're going to kill each other. Mm. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Conversations with Consequences by the Catholic Association, and we're talking to Ambassador-at-Large for International Religious Freedom, Sam Brownback. You know, Ambassador, when I went on the website of the, uh, on, in the State Department website for International Religious Freedom, they have um, a whole section on reports by country, and this is one of the things that was established by the original act in 1998, that the United States should keep track of other countries' religious freedom. And I found it really, really fascinating. You can go, there's a drop-down menu, and it's by year. And I think the, the only 20, I don't think they've done 2019 yet, but in 2018 you can go drop-down each country, and there's an incredibly detailed, fascinating account. I, I looked at Cuba because I'm Cuban-American, and the details were astounding. And I'm, I'm really, I was so proud of my country, the United States, I mean. I was so proud of the United States to take that much interest in the plight of other people who are far away from us, but human beings and our brothers and sisters. Well, uh, thank you, and I'm proud of our country too for doing it. Uh, and we're the only, that, that report you went through is the gold standard in this field, and we put a, we put a lot of time and a lot of effort uh, into it to making it a, an accurate, uh, solid report that people can use uh, and, and do use. Uh, and remember, the United States for us, We've been in law, involved in a lot of different conflicts all over the world over many years, and most of the time, the only thing we want uh, is for people to be free, and we ask for land to bury our dead, uh, and we stand for freedom, okay. and we fight for freedom. So true. And just not many other countries will do that, and this is one of the key freedoms that we're fighting for today. And standing for in this administration, I want to want to brag on the Trump administration, has been the the best on religious freedom uh, that any has ever been since we've at least had this act, uh, and maybe for any period of time. They just really get it. The president gets it. The vice president gets it. Mike Pompeo, the secretary of state, gets it and pushes it and pushes it aggressively because we see it as so foundational and key for the trajectory of the world. Ambassador, one thing that I heard, um, being in the D.C. area, you hear a lot of stuff that goes on, especially in the White House, and I heard that the president, President Trump, oftentimes when he's meeting with world leaders, asks, what are you doing about religious freedom? Is that, uh, I'm, I'm assuming that's proper chatter. 
Yeah, I you know I, I could, think it's I, genuine. I think it's I think, a, a genuine concern that he has, and and especially not only for religious freedom here at home, but really promoting that idea in his position. I think so. You know, this is the first president we've had in the history of America that didn't come either out of government or out of the military. <laughs> so here's a a, uh, a man that's a businessman, very successful businessman, and he comes into this. So there's a number of things that he's picking up as mm -hmm. he goes along, whereas most people coming into that job, okay, I've seen this or I've seen that period. This aspect and this issue has, has really grabbed him. When we did the UN General Assembly this last year and the topic the U.S. pushed was religious freedom, this was the first time any country had ever done that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he's going. Very impressive. What? Why, why, why is this the why, first? Why, why are we the first ever to do this? When yeah. you got all these people getting killed, and you're kind of going, well, it's kind of a long story, and you know, people mm -hmm. didn't want to push each other about religion, and they're, you know, I mean, you can kind of go on and on about it. But he's going, well, we've got all these people getting killed. You got all these horrific stories, and it's affecting all the different faiths. I, why? I mean, and that—that's what really is the beauty about this. Uh, this person about President Trump is that, you know, he looks at it on face value and goes, guys, something needs to be done, and then he does it. And Ambassador, can you speculate why? What is it about this that, that takes his heart? You know, I, I think he, uh, he feels it at the heart level. Uh, he met with uh, a group of uh, people persecuted for their faith that we had uh, in last summer at the ministerial we did on religious freedom. Uh, and, you know, we hear about people being locked up in storage containers for three mm. years simply for practicing uh -huh. their faith. Or, a, oh, no. um, you know, a woman that uh, was sentenced to die for apostasy for changing faiths, and they didn't kill her because she was pregnant at the time. Mm. And then later, the world community stepped in enough, and she's freed. And he's hearing these stories going, what? Yeah. What? I mean, it's barbaric. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's barbaric. And so he's going, Somebody ought to do something, and then he looks around and goes, well, wait me. a minute, that's me. Somebody, I'm going to do something, and he does. That's the beautiful thing. That is. You know, it's like moving the embassy to Jerusalem. We've had several presidents run on that topic, and he gets in and said, look, I said it. We're going to do it. Do it. And it's done. And it happens. And right. uh, that's the beauty of a, of a man of action. That's right. Um, Ambassador, you mentioned these ministerials that you've hosted at the State Department. Can you explain what is a ministerial and what do you all do and who comes and what are the goals that you seek to accomplish at these? Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a diplomatic term, but a ministerial is a gathering of foreign ministers. So it's the gathering of the, hot, the top people in the diplomatic corps. Uh, and it's from other countries. From other countries, mm -hmm. yeah, and it's uh, and that's on a topic. And this was the first time we'd ever hosted a ministerial on the topic of religious freedom. The first time there'd ever been a ministerial on the topic of religious freedom. And then the Secretary Pompeo didn't do it just once; he did it twice. Uh, and there'll be another one this year. Will happen in Poland. We're going to start rotating and moving them around the world. Uh, and so uh, the uh, Polish foreign minister and their government is going to be hosting it. And what we do there is we talk about the problems of religious persecution around the world. We had 100 governments uh, represented this last year. We had foreign ministers from nearly 20 countries uh, at it uh, this last year. We do two days of civil society and religious leaders meetings about the various topics going on. And then the last day is uh, interventions by the governments, what each government's going to be doing. 
And this has proved to be, uh, th this is the global gathering on religious freedom, religious persecution cases, and it's proven to be really a very effective way to, to launch this grassroots movement and this governmental effort to protect people's faith. You're listening to Conversations with Consequences by the Catholic Association on EWTN Radio. Ambassador, one um, fruit of this last year's ministerial, which was just bursting at the seams, right? Yeah. I mean, the State Department to, was full, full, full. We had to shut down registration three weeks in advance. We had too many people. And it was the largest human rights event ever hosted at State Department. It's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. But one of, one of the things that was recently announced is, is the new alliance. Mm -hmm. um, unlike poor Gracie, who comes from a tradition of uh, where her ancestors are not living in freedom right now, uh, the Cubans. I lived for a long time in Colombia, and I know that um, Colombia is part of the alliance um, of is. countries. And, and it was it's a really lovely thing to see more and more countries gravitating to be part of this great movement that's m more needed than ever. Could you um, explain a little bit about the Declaration of Principles that are kind of the bedrock for this alliance of international uh, uh, international alliance of, of countries in support of religious freedom. Yeah, happy to. Um, the Declaration is a basic, we're saying these are foundational, fundamental issues of religious freedom that if you want to be a part of the alliance, you have to agree to mm -hmm. these and you have to practice these yourself. And so what we're trying to do with that is just to set up a, a, really a minimal baseline for religious freedom, which the concept of religious freedom is that every individual is entitled to do with their own soul as they, as, as they see fit, as long as they're peaceful about it. Mm -hmm. You go to attacking others or, you know, okay, that's yeah, it's a different, not religion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not religion on, to start with. But uh, what we've then seen is we've seen 27 countries, including the United States, uh, that, have uh, that have stepped up initially in the initial launch of this alliance and said, yes, we want to do that. The, the odd thing about the alliance is we've never constructed an alliance of countries around this kind of topic before. We've had alliances on defense. We've had alliances on economic and trade issues. We've never really had a, an alliance of nations on a human right. Uh, and this is a human right that's been declining in the last several decades, as most of the human rights have. So we're building this as we go, uh, but we're very excited about the prospect of having this activist group that really will uh, push on this foundational human right and be willing to get out there on it, on specific topics. American leadership in promoting religious freedom abroad has never been more important. Stay tuned as Ambassador Brownback will tell us more about Hot Zones where religious minorities face extreme persecution and some of the success stories in advancing religious freedom. Conversations with Consequences, the weekly radio show of the Catholic Association. I'm here with my TCA colleagues, Andrea Picciotti-Bayer and Maureen Ferguson, and we're so honored to have with us Ambassador-at-Large for International Religious Freedom, Sam Brownback. Earlier in the hour, we were discussing his role as Ambassador-at-Large for Religious Freedom and all the wonderful things that he's doing around the world. 
And now we would like to talk to him about some specific things that are going on and what we can look forward to in, in uh, religious freedom advancements, hopefully. So one concern that we have, um, and we've been paying attention since it started, uh, I think it was February 1st, when China implemented new restrictions on religions and religious observances. What are you hearing, Ambassador, on how that's playing out for the Chinese? They're, they're suffering so much, and especially um, uh, religious minorities have always suffered, especially Catholics uh, in, in the communist country. I, it's, it's going terrible. Yeah. Uh, China's at war with faith, and if you study history, it is a war they will not win. Mm. But yet, plus it, be good. Uh, well, <laughs> it, 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 they won't, uh, and it's ridiculous war on top of it. Uh, faith is a tool to to help build your citizens up, not. Mm -hmm. But they view it uh, as something people can organize around to try to displace the Communist Party, yeah. and that's how they've read the fall of the Soviet Union and Poland, what happened there, and and there's some accuracy to those points, but. If, if they would just let people of faith operate and freely operate, uh, it, this will grow China. Mm -hmm. This will benefit them as a nation, but they've seen it differently. So they've previously really put down the Tibetan Buddhist. Mm -hmm. uh, they've kicked the Dalai Lama out. He hadn't been able to get back into the country. They've uh, done all sorts of terrible things for really, the Tibetans that they're now replicating in the same guy, Chen Guangguo who is the party chairman over Tibet, is now the party chairman over Xinjiang, and he's doing the same thing now to the Muslims, where he's got a million Muslims locked mm. up in detention camps, and you can't name your child Muhammad, and they've got these camera systems with artificial intelligence behind it and knowing who everybody is everywhere all the time, facial recognition. And then they're tearing down all sorts of churches and, and uh, making the church go back underground uh, in the country uh, as well. So it, it's... It's ridiculous, it's harmful, it's harmful to China, it mm -hmm. will not work, uh, and I think you're starting to see more and more pushback taking place, and China getting a really black eye in the global mm -hmm. community where they had really tried to foster this image of we're you know, a, a modern, modern state mm -hmm. and we're open society and everything, and then you lock a million people up and you tear all these churches down and people are going, uh, I don't think you're very open and I don't think your people probably appreciate mm -mm. being locked up like this. Ambassador, how, how about the situation in the Middle East right now? Tensions, of course, are always running high there. Um, but what is the current status of um, the religious minorities there, the Christians, Yazidis, other religious minorities? Well, they... Uh, <laughs> the Christians have virtually been run out of most of the Middle East outside of – you've got some substantial populations still left in Egypt and Lebanon, uh, small group left in Iraq. The Yazidis have been pretty well run out of the, the uh, region as well. The interesting thing that's starting to develop in my mind now in the Middle East uh, is – one, that you've got these government leaders now seeing that, that this is a bad economic strategy and it's not a strategy that works terrorism-wise either. So they're starting to try to find ways to open back up, as I mentioned about the Emiratis bringing the papal uh, visit mm -hmm. in. The Saudis, uh, while having plenty of difficulty, are now really trying to explore some different ways to go. And if Saudi changes, that's a major, mm -hmm. major uh, move that, that moves on forward. Still, you have you know horrible situations that are happening there. And, 
And now you've got really this zone of conflict between Islam and Christianity moving much more decidedly into Africa and this Sahel mm -hmm. region between Islam and Christianity, and it's deadly. We've been reading the saddest headlines out of Ni Nigeria, the, the young seminarian who was kidnapped and <laughs> killed uh, just another. last week again, another priest kidnapped. Is, is this all Boko Haram, or is it... Um, What's your read on that? No, it's not all Boko Haram. There's other groups. Uh, but what you've had taking place is now kind of the worldwide uh, Islamist radical terrorist groups. They're putting assets into this region, this middle uh, belt, the Sahel within Africa. And they're saying this is our next big play. So you're you're just seeing lots of resources and efforts going there. And they use that in this dividing line of – uh, Christians and Muslims, and they're saying, you know, we can kill these Christians, and we're <laughs> going to do it. In Burkina Faso, there was 23 yeah. people in a church killed just this last weekend. So tragic. No, it's uh, a dear, sweet uh, priest from Burkina Faso spends his summers in our parish in McLean. Wow. And um, and he wasn't able to come this last summer. He he's a seminarian teacher. And all of us are praying for him and for the seminarians and for the church there, but it's definitely a, a delicate situation. Yeah, and this is one where I think we've got to do much more engagement, and I think we have to do religious engagement in this region where you go in um, with top Islamic leaders and top Christian theologians in both I'm talking about um, and say, look, we are children of Abraham. Mm -hmm. This, this is bad. Do not use the religion to drive this division. Use religion for peace, which is this is what religion is, is to build people up, not to kill others. Mm -hmm. Our faith cannot, should not be used um, as a sort of weapon of war uh, and division. And we've, we've started this group, this Abrahamic Faith Initiative, and I really hope to deploy it a lot more in this Sahel region in Africa. That's brilliant. Ambassador, last year you visited the Rohingya people in, in Burma or, or Myanmar, Can, and you wrote a very touching post about it. Could you tell us about that, about visiting them? Well, it, I mean, it's an awful situation. Uh, you've got um, 600,000 people that have been driven out of Burma primarily because they're of a different faith. They're Muslims. Um, you have uh, women who – I personally interviewed a woman uh, whose daughter was raped in front of her and killed uh, with um, – I mean, the thing she was describing through just tears running down her face of what happened to her daughter. And I mean, just you imagine, I've, I've got three daughters, that you witness this. And what's this do to you for the rest of your life, that alone, your, your murdered daughter uh, that's there? And I, we, I just really – want us to be an aggressive voice for the freedom for people to practice their faith. You may not agree with somebody else's faith, and that's not the issue. This is a common human right, and you have this right to be able to practice your faith freely, and that applies to everybody everywhere in the world, and it, it, it applies to majority faith, minority faith, or people with no faith at all. This and is a God-given human right, and we should protect it, and that's what I was there pushing on. Ambassador, sometimes um, just hearing about the plight of so many people suffering makes you feel like, I, I don't know about you, you seem very optimistic, but it seems very overwhelming. But there have been great success stories, especially in the last few years. I uh, had a case to a chance to listen to Pastor Andrew Brunson recently. Yes. 
Could you share some of the great success stories, the highlights, that the things that keep you moving to know that there can be kind of stabilization and, and people being released, wonderful news that can kind of lift us up before you have to leave yeah. us? You know, a good friend of mine mentioned that to me last week. He said, boy, what a depressing job. <laughs> uh, it's really hard. And I'm, I'm going, no, this, this, I mean, I've got the best clientele in the world. Uh, and yeah. it's religious adherents who are peacefully trying to, you know, practice their faith. And all, and all they're asking to do is just, just leave me alone. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not going to try to trouble anybody. Just leave me alone. And, and there are people huddled in corners praying, which I think that's what's really started this movement is that the Lord's hearing these yeah. people's prayers. Amen. Uh, and we are seeing countries change. I mentioned the Emiratis. Uzbekistan is changing their laws. Kazakhstan is changing uh, their laws to address some of these particular situations. I think the Middle East is on the cusp really of, of having a breakover away from this sort of, mm-hmm. we've got to purge everybody that's not a Sunni Muslim believing as we do uh, into saying, no, wait a minute, we've got to have a broader-based society if we're going to have opportunities for our young people. We can't live on oil revenue mm-hmm. forever. Uh, we've got to start engaging people and engaging the world. So I'm actually quite optimistic. And then we've never had an administration like this one that's leaned that's so into true. this 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 right the way this administration has that believes in it. So with those combination of things, I'm looking at this, and I think these gates of religious freedom are going to start flying open around mm-hmm. the world. I well, really do. And the president has certainly appointed amazing people like you to these important positions. So, so we are so pleased and grateful that you were able to join us today. And if you, our listeners, are interested in finding out more about the work that Ambassador Brownback is doing, please visit the State Department's website at state.gov. That's state.gov. And Ambassador, please know that we will keep you and your really important work in our prayers. Please do, Maureen, and all of your listeners. I mean, that's, that's why we're here now. And I do think this is, we're at one of these moments where God's hearing these prayers mm-hmm. of poor people persecuted, and things are starting to happen. And when that moves, we, boy, the United States and the people here and all around the world, we want to be a part of that. I'm sure it's prayer that sustains you in this difficult work. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you. Thank God you. Bless you. If you're just tuning in, it's now 39 minutes past the hour. You're listening to Conversations with Consequences by the Catholic Association on EWTN Radio. We just had a fantastic conversation with Ambassador-at-Large for International Religious Freedom, Sam Brownback. And Maureen, you you mentioned something that I thought was really worth noting and bringing up again, is is the role of Ambassador Brownback in the creation of the position that he now holds. Right. It it was hilarious. He was so modest in talking about this law passed in 1998 (laughs) because it was actually he who authored the law. (laughs) Right. And the law, just to give a little background, is the International Religious Freedom Act, and it created the position of, it sort of recognized that there was a need for us to work internationally on religious freedom, and it created this position of the ambassador at large, and I'm sure at the time he never imagined that he would one day fill <laughs> that position. God knows what he's doing, right? <laughs> I mean, really, this man is so modest. Yeah. Congressman, senator, governor, ambassador. It's really incredible. What I really love about uh, what has evolved in the legislation in particular in this area is just a few years ago, um, Congressman Frank Wolf, there were amendments to the International Religious Freedom Act. And those amendments basically uh, broadened the, the authority and the scope of the ambassador's role. And, and 
you know, if you if you have any un- understanding of Washington, knowing who you report to shows what kind of authority you have. And and the shift was to have the ambassador report directly to the Secretary of State, and that's huge. And clearly, yeah, yeah. he does. And clearly, yeah. he and Mike Pompeo have an incredible yeah. partnership because each initiative, uh, the Secretary of State is right there behind Sam Brownback. I read that in for each country, he outranks the ambassador to the country, which I think is really, <laughs> really oh, that's interesting. Fascinating! Right? I did not know that. He that's really him. interesting. I think that the whole point is to put political pressure. Mm-hmm on all these different countries, right? We give all these countries money and everyone depends on the United States for everything. The United States should put political pressure on them to treat their their people better. What was a, a super smart decision in, in appointing uh, Brown back to this position is he's also a well-regarded statesman here at home. That's right. And you know what? Just to give a little more background, when he was nominated, his nomination was held up for a long time, and he was only confirmed in the Senate on a tie with Vice President Mike Pence breaking the tie. And I think there was opposition to him because people knew how effective he would be. Mm He was not some sort of vanilla kind of a guy getting, you know, put in this position. Do and you think also because he was pro-life? Because he's it, so, so prominently pro-life? That certainly played into it, sadly. No, and a lot of it is he's a, he's a man of incredible coherence, right? So he definitely understands and lives Catholic teaching in his own personal life and what he wants for the good of others, definitely to respect human dignity and uh, our, our own personal makeup and how what's going to help get us not only a good life here, but also get us to heaven. To our secular left, to the secular left, which has so much influence in our country, they really believe that the best thing that could happen is for religion to just go away because then people will be able to live rationally and nobody will attack each other. So I think it's even an affront in a certain sense to have a religious liberty ambassador because it puts religion as a great good that people ought to have, right? What do you think about that? You know, it's just like what he was saying about China. And I know, Gracie, you have a particular interest in, in China because one of your children was born in China. But he was saying the communists want to push down religion, but it's not in our human spirit to let that happen. And I think the same happens with with kind of secularists here at home. The desire to push down and and eliminate religion is against our human nature. Our our human makeup is to have a a relationship with God. Yeah, people think that that it would be good to to act as though there is no God or to, but people are always looking for meaning, right? That's veganism and recycling and everyone (laughs) wants bike lanes. Gracie, what people want meaning? (laughs) And and it it wasn't too long ago that this was seen as a bipartisan issue. I mean, it was President Bill Clinton that signed this law into place, creating the position. No, and Senator Kennedy was a big proponent. That's right, and it's just become so partisan, especially domestically. Hopefully, internationally, there's still you know bipartisan support, but it's less and less as as the culture grows more secular. I think as we pay more attention to the tragedies going on internationally, maybe we understand how to cherish religious freedom here at home. And and the example of China is a perfect example of kind of the juggernaut and the stranglehold that the state has on its people and, and its attack on religion. Maybe that's 
as I, I don't want that their suffering to go in vain. I think that we can learn from uh, their their plight. People in China, they understand what Christianity is. I, I don't know. I think I've told this story on the air before. But when I was adopting our child, our fifth child in China, I would walk around holding her. And obviously, I was an adoptive mom adopting a Chinese baby. And people over and over and over again would come up to me and they would point at me and they would say, Christian, Christian, because they associated wow. adoption, they associated the kind of uh, generosity that adoption entails, right? That brings you out of yourself. Uh, they associated with Christianity. So so they understand that there is a way that to live that's that's more than the materialism of a communist state, right? That says devote all of your energies to promoting the state and and just basic prosperity, right? There's more to that, and they could recognize it. You know, one of the things that we had been watching uh, at the Catholic Association for a long time was the the plight of a woman who's just a lot like us, Asia Bibi, um, in Pakistan, a Catholic woman um, who was very, from very simple means, but a very strong faith. And she was um, put in prison for charges of blasphemy. And basically her charges of blasphemy was defending her faith and defending our Lord Jesus Christ. She's since been released after going through eight years of legal battles. Um, she has a great book, which I think everybody that's listening should should buy, called Finally Free. And it's a memoir that was uh, co-written by a, a news newspaper woman that had been following her case for many years. But it, it's a good reminder of the courage of our modern day martyrs. And I think of Asia as a, a martyr. She gave eight years of her life with her family to defend her faith. And how much are we willing to speak up? Maureen, you're very good with DC and legislation and all that and, and politics. What happens if in November, a Democrat gets elected and the whole administration shifts again? Where do you think this big push for religious liberty, what happens to it? Does it get put in the back burner? Well, at, at best, it really gets put on the back burner. Uh, under other administrations, this position was either left unfilled for mm. years on end. I mean, th there were a few good previous mm -hmm. ambassadors, but some were less than stellar. And under some administrations, it was left under the Obama administration, it was left unfilled for years. For eight years, there was no ambassador? Oh, oh there, there was, but for many years, I want to say three or four years, the position just was wasn't just a priority. unfilled, yeah. not a priority. And again, I guess it goes back to that idea that if religion is a force for uh, dissension, <laughs> then why why do you want to promote it all over the world, right? But, right, and that's why I, I loved what Ambassador Brownback had to say about the Abrahamic Faiths Initiative, because so often people see religion as the force for division and violence, whereas it should be the opposite if people are following the tenets of their faith. It should be a force for people. fraternity and peace and living together. Well, wow. a virtuous life, right? It's exactly. good for a citizenry. Right, a so force true. for good. Every morning, the Catholic Association reviews all the latest news and sends our subscribers a carefully curated collection of the most important news of the day. Items are specifically selected for a smart Catholic audience like you. Don't let the world take you by surprise. Subscribe to our daily media roundup at thecatholicassociation.org. And now, as is customary, Father Roger Landry offers us a short and inspiring homily to prepare us for this Sunday's Gospel. This is Father Roger Landry, and it's a joy to have a chance to ponder with you the concept sequential conversation Jesus wants to have with us this Sunday. Over the last few weeks, we've been focusing on what Jesus has been saying to us in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has been calling us as his disciples to live by his standards, not those of others. 
Last week, for example, he told us that a relationship with God must surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees, who were the most religiously observant Jews. This Sunday, he'll tell us we need to do better than the tax collectors, who love those who love them, than the upright Gentiles who greet and do good to those who greet and do good to them. He calls us to live by God the Father's standards, which he personifies. He puts an exclamation point this Sunday on the calling that he gives us. Therefore, he tells us, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Many times when we hear this, we're thrown off by the word perfect and think that it's clearly an unachievable standard because none of us is perfect, none of us will ever be perfect, and if God is therefore calling us never to make a mistake, then we're justified in ignoring what he's saying as clearly impossible. But we have to understand two things. First, the main emphasis of what Jesus is saying is, be like your heavenly Father. Jesus was specifically calling us to be like the Father in particular ways. He gives us in the Sermon on the Mount specific exhortations so that we may be children of our Father in heaven who makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus implies that we will not really become children of God until we start behaving like God, that he can be our Father, through baptism obviously, without our being his children unless we experience the inner revolution to which Jesus is calling us and unless we seek to act as his children, to behave like Jesus who shows us how to live as a child of God. Just as God the Father loves everyone and does good to everyone, including those who curse him, including those who make themselves his enemy through sin and an evil life, including those who just try to use him whenever they need something from him, Jesus calls us to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, to walk the second mile, to give our cloak as well as our tunic, to give generously to all who need to borrow. We're called to be good, to let our sun or life-giving rain fall, not just on those who are good to us, but even on those who are not good to us just like the Father does. This is the path to true holiness. This is the means by which we become in action sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father by behaving as the Father behaves. Second, we have to understand what Jesus means when he calls us to be perfect like our Father in Heaven. We have to grasp the Greek word St. Matthew employs. It's teleos, T-E-L-E-I-O-S, which is the adjective that comes from the noun telos, which means end or goal. Teleos means fit to achieve its end or purpose. A hammer, for example, is teleos for pounding in a nail. A student is teleos when he's mastered the material, lives it, and teaches it to others. When Jesus calls us, or in fact commands us to be teleos, as our Heavenly Father is teleos, he's not intending that we engage in a type of errorless and sinless perfectionist striving for the unattainable that will destroy our spiritual, psychological, or physical life. Rather, he's summoning us to order our life to the same purpose and same goal as God the Father, to mature to full stature, to achieve the end for which we were made, which is to be fully in the image and likeness of God, to be holy as God is holy, to love like God loves, to be merciful as the Father is merciful, to behave truly as children of the Father. In order to achieve this Christian perfection, God doesn't leave us on our own, but gives us all the help he knows we need. Everything in our Christian life is meant to help us to become teleos. The sacraments are meant to help us to come to perfection by assisting us from within to become more and more like the one we encounter in the sacraments, Jesus Christ. The Word of God is meant to help us to become spiritually perfect by imparting to us God's wisdom, showing us the true path to love like He loves. Prayer is meant to help us to become teleos by helping us to think as God thinks rather than the way everybody else thinks, to help us say and desire that God's will be done rather than our own. 
Our daily life, including our sufferings, is meant to help us to become teleos. This is the path that God the Father used to perfect Jesus according to his humanity. The letter to the Hebrew says, Although he was son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being perfected, teleos is that word, became the source of eternal life and salvation to all who obey him. As we prepare for the beginning of Lent in four days, we can focus on how Lent is meant to help us to become perfect as our Father is perfect. It's meant to unite us to Jesus in his 40 days in the desert, in his prayer, in his fasting, in his almsgiving, so that we can become together with him the image of the Father. He'll tell us on Ash Wednesday when you pray or give alms or fast to do so not for the crowds, but for the Father receives in secret and will always reward. Lent is about making us ever more children of the Father, People who live for the Father, for the Father's standards, for the Father's name to be hallowed, for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done. Lent is ultimately about holiness as we turn away from everything by which we do not behave as beloved children of the Father and begin to believe and live the gospel, which can be summarized. As God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that all who believe in him might not perish but have eternal life. And eternal life is by the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing God the Father and Jesus Christ whom he sent. This is what this Sunday helps remind us of. This is the reality in which Lent will help us grow. God bless you. Thank you so much, Father Landry. To hear more from Father Landry, you can check out his website, catholicpreaching.com, and you can listen or read his longer homilies. You can also catch his writings at EWTN's own National Catholic Register. And we hope you'll catch us next week when we'll be joined by our colleague Ashley McGuire and our special guest John Birch from the Alliance Defending Freedom. John's going to give us a Supreme Court roundup on cases involving life and religious freedom and human dignity. And we also plan on asking John about proposed laws undermining the seal of confession. Tune in every Saturday at 5 p.m. on your EWTN local affiliate or on Sirius Channel 130. And of course, you can listen to this show as a podcast. Go to catholicassociation.org slash podcast or find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're called Conversations with Consequences.